Does cooking or baking something new give you anxiety? When you approach the task, are you filled with self-doubt? Are you certain you'll do badly and then aren't surprised when that's exactly what you do? Changing your mind about how you will make that dish will change the outcome. How you see yourself doing it well or doing it poorly will manifest that result. The Eating Liberty Podcast, episode 256, Food and Freedom, Once a Week for Life. Hello folks, Dan Reed here. Welcome back to the show. Today's show is a food show, but with a twist. It's a food show that starts with thinking about thinking about food. How we approach the task of cooking or baking has a big impact on what comes from that effort. When you're cooking, what counts as a win? Is it a low bar or a high bar? If nothing burnt, is that a win? Maybe you are more practiced in the kitchen and a technical detail matters. Maybe the grilled tri-tip that keeps all the juices inside when you slice it is your win. That's a big one for me. I, frankly, I get, a get, I get a bit giddy about that. I get it, but I can't say it. The line between the win and the not win is a moving target and is micrometers thin. Maybe it's micrometers. Since I'm talking about sports, or wins, sports analogies seems apropos. That perfectly rested tri-tip is a grand slam. Everything cooked properly might be a home run or a buzzer-beater three-point shot to win the game. You know, bird from the corner, yes! There's a powerful emotional aspect to that win, regardless of its comparison. What's a big win for me isn't, maybe, a big win for you. A personal victory is exactly that, personal. I rarely share most of mine because only I know what the victory is. No one eating what I made would ever know, and that's not the point to me. I know it, and that's what matters. This show isn't about me telling you about my greatness. I'm far from greatness, and it is perfectly okay if you thought of Walter Payton just then. When I was in culinary school, my dad asked me to make some muffins so he could take to work the next day. I broke out my baking book, found the recipe, and it took hours, literally hours, to make a batch of muffins. And they weren't that good. There was also a time when I overcooked about 36 prime rib. That wasn't good. But back to those muffins. 
I was very young, both in actual age and even younger in cook years, highly inexperienced, which was why I was in school, and took wins and not wins very seriously. A not win was felt as a character flaw. I clearly had no business baking or cooking or ever touching food again. I have no way of knowing if other people felt that way over highly perceived and not wins, but based on the looks in the eyes of some of the people I've met over the years, some of them get it. They feel it. It's been about 40 years since that muffin baking episode. In that time, I've had lots of chances to grow, and I even took myself up on some of them. Craft is a personal thing. I often refer to the same crafts, painting, wood carving, writing, as crafts that seem to consume the person. Cooking does that too, or at least it can. I have deliberately not used the word fail as the counterpart to win. Fail is harsh. It seems to have no room for recovery and can be a devastating conclusion. It's an assessment of character and ability. For home cooks, failure can end the cooking experience. Those muffins and the hours for mediocre baked goods is why so many home cooks and <laughs> honestly, some professional cooks insist they can't bake. They tried it once and it didn't go well. Didn't go well is a judgment, an assessment based on a metric that isn't that cook's metric. Now, based on my enrollment in cooking school, by virtue of being in a building where muffins were made, I determined I should have been better at the task I have never done only because of proximity. That's pretty silly, and it didn't stop me from feeling like I failed. Of course, the muffins were fine. They could have been better, but my dad was proud and said everyone liked them. What has taken me more than 35 years to really own is that mindset matters to my success. I knew it in bits and pieces. See the dish already complete. Visualize every step of the process before you cook or bake it. Those are valuable and useful steps. The visualize one was from a friend and certified master chef, Jack Shoup. Jack had two brain passions, advancing his cooking skills and food knowledge, that's one, and always learning anything that caught his interest. He was always reading something. Visualization techniques, mindset, was one big topic for Jack. Visualization was kind of like practicing without the doing. See every step in your mind's eye. Where's the pan? Where are the tongs or the spoons? 
Where is the oil and where is the food? Where are the plates? What happens when the pan flames up? See every step. Do it perfectly in your head. Anticipate every possible wrong event and respond to it. If you've done it right 50 times in your head, the one time you make it, it's easy and familiar. Michael Jordan used to talk about practicing so hard like it was a game that when the game came, it was easy and familiar. He knew what to do because he'd already done it. Jordan uses the word failure. He makes a theme about it. He wrote a book about it and how he succeeds because he has failed. Missing the shot in game one of the 1991 fa finals was a fail. Making so-so muffins that the people seemed to enjoy was not a fail. Jordan went on to win many more games. I beat myself up for years over my own sense of not winning or incomplete success. I brooded, and frankly, sometimes I still do. In part, I think I thought brooding was expected. I really do think so. Food is expensive, and redoing the food costs twice as much, and food is a gift, and you ruin the gift. There's a lot of baggage attached to a bag of flour. So brood seemed the right response for making imperfect food from those ingredients. Or burning 36 prime rib. Oh, they weren't burnt. It is possible that my culinary school education started with each class and each chef instructor stating emphatically that every single one of us in that class will ruin food. We will over or undercook something. Some of it will be unservable. It will be turned into garbage. We will fail. I'm pretty sure that talk never happened, and that's really too bad. I don't recall if I started classes that way for every class when I taught. Probably not, but I'm pretty sure I probably did for the classical French class and the Garmage class. Those were hard. That's <laughs> just partly because the instructor made them hard, but they were hard anyway. I should have made more of that for all the classes. So now I'm going to do that. Dear listener, you will ruin food. You will overcook the pasta and the shrimp and undercook the chicken. You will oversalt the soup and underseason the steak. You will make mistakes and you will not always win. So what? You knew that part. Here's the part I wanted to know 40 years ago. It will be okay. Your actions do not define you. You are more than the lack of salt or the excessive application of heat to any food. If it is your nature to get down on yourself for imperfections, do that. Then 
Stop doing that. You can have five seconds to torture yourself, then get back in the game. As the home cook, your family needs you to get your head out of your derriere and finish cooking. Do better tomorrow. Expecting that you should know how to mix bread when you have never once mixed bread is unfair to you and, honestly, to the bread. That bread, or whatever the first dish is, is your benchmark. The next one will be better, and that's your victory for coming back to do it again. You are. You are the cook, the mom, the dad, the student, the employee, the son, the daughter, and you are enough. You are enough today, but are able to grow to more tomorrow. Now, there are hundreds of mindset speakers. Many of them seem to focus on business. Now, a lot of that content can be applied to life. I'm particularly fond right now of Earl Nightingale. Now, he's from the 50s, and his word choice sounds like it. Deepak Chopra was Jack's favorite. A strong mindset doesn't mean you don't make mistakes, and it doesn't mean you don't feel frustration or anger or disappointment. A strong mindset also means you do feel joy and happiness. A strong mindset means you do not let those Moments contaminate your thinking, and you do not allow those moments to define you or to limit you. A strong mindset means you can cook the complicated dish or bake the challenging recipe. And if it isn't a grand slam, according to you, it might be a home run. When the people eat it, they will let you know. Believe them. All right, folks, that's going to do it. People use the phrase rabbit hole to indicate there is more to know about a topic. For mindset, there is a labyrinth, a veritable maze of virtual avenues for you to explore forever. Now, some of that information can get pretty deep and it can seem pretty woo. Today was just a on-the-surface kind of a discussion, and you may take it as far as you like, or stop here. Since we're talking about food and cooking, I wrote a cookbook, Cooking for Comfort, One Pot Meals You Can Make. Many of the recipes happen to be fall-appropriate, and happily for me, that time is coming. Now, I will be frank and say, happily for me, pertains entirely and only to food. <laughs> I like it hot, but I like fall food. Funny how that works. You can find Cooking for Comfort on Amazon or on the blog post, culinarylibertarian.com slash cookingforcomfort. Have a great week, and I'll see you soon.
For the Culinary Libertarian Podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.